Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Hope, hope you're doing well, and thank you for being a part of our kickoff of this new message series. I've been looking forward to this day for around a year now as we've been um, targeting the book of Acts. And the big goal really is that we would gain crystal clarity on the calling of God on our lives so that we might live it out with passion. And I heard recently of a, a study that was done where they asked people, what are your greatest fears in life? And the fears came in and there were a variety of categories, but one of the categories that that, uh, that people struggled with was the whole idea, the fear of missing my life purpose. Like, why am I here? And getting to the end of life and looking back and realizing I, I missed it. And as I heard that, it, it hit me. God wired within us this um, just innate uh, reality that we, we know we're here for a purpose. We desire to accomplish this purpose, but what is it? And as we turn to the book of Acts, what we're going to discover is God said, all right, as followers of Christ, here's the purpose. See it and then be equipped to live it out. And so over the next few months, and we're going to be in this book until, until the uh, flowers are blooming and the, uh, the baseballs are flying and the Indy cars are roaring, over the next, really, um, right into June, digging into this, this book that's been given to us to help us live out the purpose that God has for us. It's uh, just to give you a, a quick background on, on this book of Acts. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels that tell about the life of Christ. Acts takes us from the resurrection of Christ into the, the birth of the church and then the early church as it expands. And what's unique about Acts is it's called Acts, and you say, okay, why Acts? Well, it's, there's a lot of action in it, for one thing. I mean, it is, it'd make a great movie, and that you have, you know, everything from today, we're going to see the ascension of Christ to the, uh, the, there's persecution that breaks out, there's imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and snake, Paul gets bit by a snake. One day when he's preaching, the, we, we read the story of a guy named Eutychus, teenager, who uh, Paul's going too long into the night with his message, and he falls out of a third-story window that gets... Uh, healed right there. I mean, it's full of action, but, but uh, tradition has it. It's the acts of the apostles, those 12 who would um, carry out the calling, but others say, well, it, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit, which is given on the day of Pentecost and really fuels the church, but you could say this. It's the act of God through his people and through the body of Christ, the church, taking the gospel, the good news that, that salvation is found through faith in Christ throughout the world, and seeing lives changed, um, life after life, and it going really uh, throughout, yeah, covering the world. Another unique uh, feature with this genre of Acts is we see several times he gives us just a summary of what the church is. He'll just pause and say, okay, the church is doing this, and we get a glimpse of really who we are to be, and you have some messages that are preached from the apostles where you get the whole message, like the whole sermon, and so it's helpful to go back and and see those, but uh, summing it up though, you know, the book of Acts is really just watching God um, give the Holy Spirit to his people, to the church, and then the body of Christ, and, 
and Jesus do what only he can do through us to bring hope and help to a hurting world. And it's awesome. It's a, uh, I mentioned last week, prepare to be encouraged. And I think each week we come to the book of Acts, we're going to be pumped up because it is a really a victory celebration of what God is doing, even amidst our, our hurt and our brokenness. So the, uh, this opening text, what we're going to discover in Acts 1, we're going to go Acts 1, 1 to 11, are three promises to see and then to celebrate in that as we see and celebrate these promises, they stoke our passion to live out the calling that God has given us. So our goal when we walk out of this place today, hopefully, is that we will be seeing and then celebrating in an everyday way these promises that God gives us so that it'll fuel us as we seek to follow him and and live out the calling he's given us. So I'll read, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down and, and uh, dig into it. It starts, verse 1 there, he says, this is Luke writing, and he says, in my former book, Theophilus, so he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. One other thing, when he says that, Theophilus, this is kind of cool, he's writing to a friend, which it's one thing, like if this was an academic work, but this is somebody he loves, cares about, and he's trying to help. Like if you were writing to a good friend, and we, know th- we don't know a lot about Theophilus other than he was probably a person of status in this culture and probably a Gentile, so it's, Luke will get into, okay, how does a Gentile come into this, um, follow Christ, who is a Jew and, and uh, this religion coming out of Judaism. He says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about, um, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. Quick side note, that word suffering, you remember the series we did called the J-curve, that as we follow Christ on earth, Jesus said, this is the way it's going to go, suffering then glory. Remember that back in Easter? And it, it was just so encouraging me, to me to remember, just as Jesus suffered, he promises a future glory for those who follow him and the upside. And, and here we see that reference after his suffering, the cross. He was resurrected and he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so the resurrection of Christ is really the event that changed everything. It's Jesus was clearly buried Three days rose from the dead to many eyewitnesses, and he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. Things like he ate with them, and he talked with them, and he was with them, and they saw his body, felt his body. And uh, so Luke is saying, okay, this is, um, this is where we were, but what happened in that gap between his resurrection and his ascension? And we see verse 4, he says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So who's John? Well, that's, remember, John the Baptist, and he would baptize people with water. Baptize means, it's uh, literally, it's a, um, baptizo means to dip, and so you would go under, come back up. We are baptized, it's a picture of dying to our old way of life, being raised to our new way of life as we follow Christ. But what's he mean when he says, you will be baptized in a few days with the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what was going through their minds, all right? 
the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and says, you're going to be baptized, filled, immersed with the Holy Spirit, and what's that going to look like? Well, we carry on. He says, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you, going, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But here it comes. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the first promise we see in verse 8 is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Can we just pause and, and bask in this for a moment and celebrate this reality that when we trust Christ as our Savior and as followers of Christ, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We receive an, His empowering presence, which He promises will not go away. And this power is for us to accomplish the calling that He, he has placed on each of our lives. And I, I think many of us would probably say, yeah, John, I know that. But the question for us today, are we living in the, the joy-giving reality that when we wake up in the morning, okay, stop and think about this. The Holy Spirit, God's presence himself, indwells us, empowers us. And we don't always feel strong, but by faith we know we are strong, powerful to do whatever it is that he's called us to do. And we have that little phrase, BHP, by his power. And I, I know that's a prayer I often pray as I get up facing the new day. Lord, this is by your power I go. And it, and it fuels us. It's a promise that he calls us to hang on to. This also reminds us that God's calling on us is beyond us. And isn't it interesting? Their first move, it's not like Jesus gives them a pump up talk like, man, I see it in you guys. I believe in you guys. You can do this. You've been with me for three years. The greatest of teachers, you've seen my, your, your witnesses of, eyewitnesses of my resurrection, you've got all you, knew, you need, suck it up and go, go do it. What's he say? <laughs> Don't leave Jerusalem until you have received this gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the gift of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There's only one way that we carry out the calling that God has on each one of our lives, and that is through his power as we rely on on it. And so Jesus commands him, stay put, don't leave. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And just to remember again, the, who is the Holy Spirit? And we know it's kind of hard in our minds to, he is spirit, so with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, we know he had a body so we can visualize, but the, the Holy Spirit is very much a person of the Trinity. He is fully God distinct in his roles and his functions and the, uh, the Godhead exists in perfect unity and they work together um, and invite us into that unity and into that relationship with them but, um, but he is a real person and we worship him we, we um, just treasure the ministry that, that he, he is to us and throughout Acts we'll be fleshing it out a little bit more but he, uh, he's the one who regenerates us he gives us new life he teaches us, he convicts us, he guides us, he directs us, he comforts us in our troubles. He, um, so many things that, that he does for us. But this, the focus of this text is he takes up permanent residence within us. 
one text, there's many, but one to uh, where we see this taught is Ephesians chapter 3, or 1, verse 13, where he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, so this is at that moment of conversion, when we trust Christ as our Savior, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So it's this picture of the seal is like what a, a king would stamp to say, this is, this is mine. It, it was you would put this on a document or something. What God stamps on us to say, you are my child, is the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the question today, are we living in the reality of, of this promise? You will receive power. This is one of those that, uh, man, when, when it starts to move from our head to our heart, just lights us up to go live um, the day, to face the challenges of the day and the problems of the day, knowing we have God's presence with us. We were, it was a uh, cold, uh, snowy uh, evening, but this time of year, uh, Phil and Martha Bloomer were living over in the uh, parsonage, and the Bloomer van had backed up into a snowdrift, and so Phil had called some friends, and we're all back there trying to push this van out of the snowdrift, and we were, we're pushing, we're huffing, puffing, we're um, forming plans, you know, trying to put boards under the wheels and all this stuff to no avail. It was stuck. And we are wearing ourselves out to get this van up and going. When we noticed the neighbor, Henry Wallace, cruising down Mackey Road in his tractor, no one had called him or, or anything like that. We're thinking, well, man, it'd be nice if Henry would take a uh, turn into the driveway. And he did. We're like, whoa, this is a gift from heaven. And Henry comes up in his laid back way and said, could you guys use some, use some help? We're like, oh yeah. In a matter of moments, we throw the chain on that car and boom, we're up and running. And that's the picture that, that I see of, of us trying to do life apart from the relying on the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's exhausting, it's frustrating, and honestly, to do what God's called us to do, our calling, it's impossible. But here's the promise, you guys, God gives us right at the outset. You will receive power when the, the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not you might, not, not maybe, not some of you. This is plural. You will. This is a promise for his church, for his people, for his child. Isn't that good? And so this is the first promise we cling to. The second one we see there in verse 8 is he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you could put yourself in the shoes of these first century followers as they hear this, they're like, okay, our leader was just crucified, so we're not popular in Jerusalem, but okay, we get Jerusalem, we, we're from here, so there's a, around a hundred of us right now, we got a shot at Jerusalem. It's not going to be easy, but we got a shot at it. But then when he says, you will be my witness in Judea and Samaria, like, uh, this is the region, and Jews do not like Samaritans, so side note, we don't even want to go into Samaria, <laughs> and, and we're supposed to be witnesses there, but the, the kicker for me would be when he says to the ends of the earth. The mission is to be a witness for Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. How is this going to happen? And don't you love, Jesus says, this isn't like go get it done, it's like it's going to happen. You will be my witnesses. Isn't that awesome? 
Like, this is a promise of God that we claim. We will be. He, he said it. And so we go as we go out to, to answer the calling that he's given us. We go with that confidence. And what is our confidence? When he says you will be empowered, what's this empowering for? And we know it's, it's to be a witness for him. What is a witness? And, and it's someone who testifies to the, the reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us. The, uh, and stop and think, we are here today, 2,000 years removed, because this promise has, was fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled. Think about um, the gospel going out, and we'll see in the book of Acts the ways that it, it goes out, often unexpected, and, and uh, it's God moments all over the place, but so it is for us as we go with that confidence that we will be a witness for Christ. The story continues, and we get to play a part. Notice he says, it's interesting as we look at this promise, you will be my witness, witnesses. So when we think about witnessing, it's not just something that we do, the verb, but it's actually something that we are. When we come to faith in Christ, receive the the gift of his spirit and surrender to him and follow him, we become a witness. It's by default. We just have to show up. And his love, his peace, his joy is going to be flowing through us. And it takes some pressure off, doesn't it? It's kind of like, he's going to, we will be a witness. Like Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill, you are the city on a hill and, and don't hide your light. Rather just go be present, do good, love the way I have loved you and you will be my witness. But it does, to get specific, how are we actually a witness for Christ. And there are several categories. Three come to mind. One is a witness is somebody who just tells what happened to them. We share our experience. And so we're a witness sharing this is what Christ did for me and how he's saved me but also sustains me in life and has given me hope today and into the, into the future. But there's also that part of being a witness where our life backs up our message. And what's the primary witness for a follower of Christ and for the, our, the church? Remember Jesus said it in John 13, 34, it's love. He said, by, love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples. And when the church is loving well, that we're shining. When we're not loving well, um, becoming judgmental or condescending in any way, our witness goes out. The true witness is seen through a life of love. And then a, a third way that we witness is that we're willing to lay down our lives for this, this, the cause of Christ or for, as a testimony to Christ. The word witness here in this text literally means martyr. And it's interesting, in following Christ, we have something worth living for, but something worth dying for, don't we? Our hope is not in this life. It's in Him. For me to live as Christ, to die is, is actually gain. And so we say, and here in America, we don't really face this kind of... Uh, persecution, but first century followers, many of them laid down their life as a witness, as martyrs, testifying that this is truth, and he is real, and he is worth following. You will be my witnesses, promise. So, guys, this verse, Acts 1-8, is a verse to, to remember, to groove. It has two of our promises, and it's really the, the uh, scholars will tell you, this is the key verse that unlocks the rest of the the book of Acts. This is the the main thing. You have received power. You will be my witnesses. 
And then the geography of this verse actually outlines the entire book. So if you want to get a picture of the, the whole book of Acts, you've got it right here. The, uh, where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 1, uh, chapter one to, to chapter 7. Judea and Samaria is chapters 8 to 12. And then to the ends of the earth is chapters 13 to 28. So as a church family, we're memorizing in February, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for this reason. We'll, this will just help us grasp this. It also grasp these promises to stoke our passion, to, to, uh, to live out our calling. So the question as we think about this promise is, is being a witness what's stoking my passion these days? Is this my prayer? Is this my thought? When I wake up in the morning, am I pumped up to think, today I get to go be a witness for Christ. God's working all around me, so who is my one life or somebody that he may lead me to that, that I can uh, just be, build a bridge and, and love them, care about them, and not to um, in any way see people as projects or as uh, being condescending and how we share our faith, but it's simply showing up and then when he opens a door of opportunity, taking that, that door of opportunity share the hope we have. All right, and then, so first promise is you will receive power. Second promise, you will be my witness. And then third promise we see in verses 9 to 11. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Which is, if you put yourself in their shoes, it's somewhat of a obvious question. <laughs> you can just picture the disciples right here, and I know would be in shock. Like, Jesus just ascended out of their sight. They're just looking up. God sends these angels with this question. Why are you looking into the sky? And here comes the promise. This is so good. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Just as he ascended into these clouds, he will return. And the promise that we cling to and that gives us hope and courage is Jesus will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Quick side note on the ascension of Christ. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about this truth or this reality. We talk a lot about his, uh, at Easter his, what he did for us on the cross and Christmas, his birth, and, and rightly so. But the ascension is significant in that this is what a king does. This is our king ascending to his throne. We know that scripture tells us he's at the right hand of the father. And he is, um, he is king in control, sovereign in every way on his throne. And I just love this picture in those moments when we're wondering, life feels out of control. We're hurting and uh, maybe struggling with doubt and fear as we live out the calling he's given us. And to look up and see our king is in control. And as we um, see this moment, it's a, a time for us just to remember again that he has ascended, he has risen, he is reigning. But what is the, the reality and the sweet truth is that our king is coming for us. Just as you have seen him go, he will return. This is the promise of the imminent. Could happen at any moment. There's nothing else that hap needs to happen on the prophetic timeline of God. And the bodily return of Jesus Christ 
And we know that he will rapture his church. We see in 1 Thessalonians that when he returns, we will meet him in the air. Those who have died in Christ will rise first. They'll get a jump on us, but then we'll catch, catch them and meet the Lord in the air to enjoy eternity with him. I love it how the, the uh, God sends these angels to help them through this discombobulating time, confusing moment. And uh, did you notice what they say, though, that question, why are you standing here? The obvious question is, okay, we're, we don't know what to do. <laughs> we're in shock. But, but don't you, I think there's some significance. Why are you standing here? What's he saying? What's the implication? It's time to go. God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is, now hurry up and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. But God is on the move. This is not a time for fear or despair or to stand still. But this is a time to get busy in, in what he's called you to do. So what is their response? And this is really neat. Luke gives us their response at the end of the, the last few words of his gospel. And so we'll turn over there. Luke chapter 24, verse 30. We see um, what happens. It says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. What we just read about. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy right? No. With what kind of joy? With great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Isn't that good? What was their response to the ascension of Christ and this promise of his return? It was great joy, the posture with which they lived. It wasn't despair or fear. Or fear. It was joy. And so it is for us, my brothers and sisters, right? We have these promises from our Lord. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses, and I will return. And what is our posture as we live in the way and the messy in between? Life down here is life on the highway. The best moments of this life are but pit stops at a truck stop, right? On our way home, on our way to the shores of heaven, on our way to a beautiful morning that will never fade away on our way to a place where there are no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. But in the meantime, we have a calling, and it is to be a witness. Why has God put you here, given you life in 2022? Witness. Why has He given you the job that He's given you? Witness. Why has he given you the abilities that he's given you and put you in the, given you the opportunities or, or the desires even that you have put you on that playing field or that basketball court or the soccer field or whatever it may be that you enjoy doing. It's witness. It's our calling. Why has he allowed you to suffer through some things that you've suffered through? He has a purpose that right now we can't see, but it's witness. And he has given us all that we need to step into that calling for his glory and to do so with great joy, even in those moments when we're struggling. And so, some practical next steps for us today. The first question to ask is, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? It's another way of saying, have you received the gift of salvation? It's that conversion or that moment that we trust Christ as our Savior. We confess our sin and we trust Him that we receive the baptism or the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't, 
taken that step, I invite you today to, to take that step. God today offers that invitation to you. And if you'd like to talk to somebody about it, we'd love to, to just walk you through what that looks like. A second question are you relying on the promise of his empowering presence? Like, has it moved from your head to your heart? So that as you go out tomorrow, you're attempting things that you might not attempt or relying on him to be your power source as you face challenges and seek to be a witness in, the, in those moments. And then the third question would be, are you locked in on being a witness? It's easy to get caught up in just uh, all the other distractions of life, but, but our calling, guys, while we're still here, is it's this, isn't it? It's witness. And so being faithful to be a witness for him. The, uh, bringing it all together, what's our calling? Why are, why are we here? Our purpose. And that one word throughout the book of Acts will come again and again. It's witness. And here God gives us three promises to propel us to, to live it out with passion and, and with great joy. Promise. You will be empowered. Promise. You will be a witness. Promise. I will return for you. Okay. We are going to break all the rules right now. When you start a book, first page, you never turn to the last page because you don't want to ruin the ending, right? And, and be the spoiler. But we're going to do that today. If you would join me. Last page of the book. This is so good that, that, that we've got to do it. Acts 28 verse 30. Luke is wrapping up, and he says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. So we know Paul is in prison under house arrest, but they've given him this house. Verse 31 says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and with, without hindrance. So it's an interesting way to end a book. Question. As Paul is there, Paul being just key leader in the church, now he's stuck under house arrest. Has the mission stopped? Is, are, is he wringing his hands and worried? No, the mission's going on, and, and it reminds us of this reality. God's the one who's making this happen. You can threaten the witness or the messenger. You can lock him up. You can even kill him. But, but what God started there in Acts chapter 1... And through his church, it's not going to stop. God's church is going to go. Jesus is building his church, and the empowering presence of his church is the Holy Spirit. But as I read that, it's, and I don't know if you felt that, but it feels like, Luke, this is a horrible way to end a book. You've just got, it's just kind of abrupt. You just have Paul sitting there in his house uh, writing and, and talking to people. My question is, and what I wrote in my Bible in big words, then what? Then what? Like, chapter 29, and then it occurred to me, I think that's intentional, because what is chapter 29? It's your chapter. It's your story. Until the Lord returns, this story is going on. It didn't end with Paul in that first century. It carries on, and you, I, we have a part to play. You're the witness. It's your story. And as we go into this book of Acts, may God do a work in each of our hearts that just ignites us to realize it's being written in real time. We get to be a part of God's redemptive plan as it's playing out on planet Earth. And we get to do so together as a faith family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for these promises, Lord, and help us to just see them clearly, but then also cling to them as we go throughout this week and 
just rely on the power that you've given us through your Holy Spirit to be a witness, God, to be your presence to the people around us, to point them to you, Jesus, is the hope. And, and then, Lord, we fix our eyes on that day that you will come for us. And in the times when life is especially hard, I thank you that we can just lift our eyes to that moment and know that uh, the best is yet to come. Lord, I thank you for each person that is here today. And God, would you just meet with each one of us? Would you give us each what we need? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.